Okay, hi everyone. Thank you so much for coming. We're just going to jump straight into the agenda for the day. Uh, but just to set uh, some context for the events. <clears throat> so we have the team from here, yeah, and I'll introduce them very, very quickly. Uh, but a lot of the conversations, this event is mostly going to be conversations. So we'll probably have like one or two presentations. Can you hear me at the back? Right. We'll probably have one or two presentations just to set the stage for a lot of the discussions that will happen. But most of the event itself, we have about 70 or 80 minutes. That's just like discussions with the team, right? So, uh, the team itself, I mean, the yield team, they are, they are here to learn. They are here to understand, like, what's happening within the ecosystem. They are here, I mean, they are open to understanding if there are ways that we could collaborate. Uh, so it's not like they've not come with answers like a lot of people typically do. They've just come to listen to the amazing work that we're doing within the ecosystem. Uh, so that's, that's what will be the focus of the conversation, right? Without further ado, so just to quickly run through the agenda, once I invite the team, I'm going to invite the president of Yale to give a brief talk, five, ten minutes about like the Africa Focus, the Africa Initiative. Then I would invite uh, a few people just to give, to set the stage with these presentations that I talked about on how like the ecosystem has grown over the last decade or so and like who are the different key players within the space, right? Once we set the stage with those presentations, then we can dive into the conversations and then the rest will just be like discussions and, and networking at the end of the day. Does that sound good? Uh, give or take will be done in exactly, I mean, by 4.15, we'll be out of here, I can assure you. All right, cool. Thank you so much. So without further ado, I'm going to uh, quickly uh, just introduce the Yale team, starting with the president of Yale, Peter Salovey. Please, you're welcome. So you can take the rest of the but he also didn't come alone. I mean, he came with an entire team. Uh, we have Joy Magrati. I hope I pronounced that right. <laughs> yeah, who, who's the chief of staff at Yale. Uh, we have the director for Africa and Middle East, Eddie Mandri, with them here. Uh, and we also have a few faculty. Uh, give me one second to pull up the names. We have Professor Ted Ianacho from the Yale School of Medicine. We have Professor Charles Dickey also from the Yale School of Medicine. We have Emma Sky, who is the director for the Yale World Fellows Program. And then last but not least, we have the president of the Yale Club of Nigeria here. I think he graduated in 1970 or something. Wow. He's a round of applause for him. And last but not least, we have Leka. Please, pardon me if I... <laughs> Leka... Look, the, are you from Burundi? It sounds like a South, South Africa. It sounds like a South African name. Like so I'll just call you Leka. She's a yellow, yellow Woodbridge fellow. <laughs> uh, all right, cool. Uh, so, I mean, everyone within the room will get to introduce themselves when during the discussions. Uh, so without further ado, I'll just hand over the mic to President Peter Salovey. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, and it's very nice to see all of you uh, uh, here today. Uh, I thank uh, Adewale for inviting us uh, here, and to uh, all of uh, the colleagues here at TechPoint for making us uh, feel so welcome. Uh, I am going to mention one thing about Harun. He graduated from Yale 50 years ago, and... <laughs> 
For 50 years, he's kept a connection between Yale and Nigeria alive by forming the club and, and, and running the club. And so uh, he's our man in Nigeria, I always think. Uh, and uh, I'm so glad you could join us here today. So I became president in 2013. And when I became president, I gave a speech, which is what you do when you become university president in the U.S., but you don't make too many promises because you haven't actually talked to the faculty yet. And uh, if the faculty don't agree with your promises, it's not going to happen. So very careful. But I made one promise. And the one promise is that Yale would have an Africa initiative, that we would do more uh, in Africa and with people uh, in Africa. The idea had many different pieces to it. One was to have more students from Africa coming to Yale. And there are 40% more students from Africa now studying at Yale than when I started. Have more Yale students, have more Yale students find their way to doing something in Africa, research, internship, study in some way but mostly to look for opportunities to collaborate through partnerships in Africa. We're not interested in building campuses all over the world. I don't like that model. I like the model where we look for people doing interesting things here in Africa, where they bring something to the partnership, we bring something to the partnership, and we do something that neither of us might have done uh, alone. So this area of entrepreneurship, innovation, is one that's very important to us, and obviously that's why you're here. I'll come back to it uh, at the end, but I'm hoping that some kind of partnership might grow out of uh, this uh, visit uh, here uh, today. Before I do that, though, let me tell you a little bit about what Yale is doing in Africa, just very briefly. We have uh, active uh, collaborations going on in Nigeria, in Ghana, in Kenya, in Uganda, in South Africa, uh, with edu in, in, the edu in education. In fact, we have three Yale clubs, the one in Nigeria I mentioned, there's one in Ghana, and there's one in South Africa. In, uh, uh, we have a network that our business school uh, uh, formed of essentially business school students uh, in 20 business schools throughout, 20 plus business schools throughout the world. Four of them are in Africa. Lagos uh, is one of them. And uh, these collaborations are leading to more and more interchanges between our students and faculty and students and faculty here uh, on the continent. Some of the other um, initiatives that we are involved in is the Leadership Forum for Strategic Impact, uh, which provides an opportunity for women who are in government positions, ministers, parliamentarians, uh, to uh, receive uh, mentorship and to get to know each other in a network uh, to, to um, uh, support each other. And that's been going on for uh, a number of years, and I will see... All those women tomorrow, is that right, Joy? Tomorrow, right? Saturday, sorry, on Saturday, on Saturday. There's a Young African 
uh, scholars program, which is really an opportunity for secondary school students throughout the continent. Were any of you in this program? Sometimes I run into students from this program, former students from this program. Uh, they're in 40 countries, uh, learning about uh, what, what, what it takes to get to college and uh, how they might come to college, for example, in the, in the U.S. And we have a global health leadership uh, program. This is public health, nursing, and medicine working together to find uh, issues in public health uh, uh, that we have uh, in common, that we can study in common, that we can try to address through research in common. My colleagues from the Department of Psychiatry are here uh, because they run a program that uh, addresses issues of the delivery of services for mental health issues here in Nigeria. Happiness is the acronym. And uh, uh, afterwards, if you're interested, they can tell you uh, a lot more uh, uh, about it. Uh, finally, we are building up our capacity uh, to, do, to provide education for people interested in entrepreneurship careers, in innovation, doing startups, or simply learning to think like someone who does a startup. Maybe you don't want to do a startup, but you want to be creative and out of the box and address problems that haven't been addressed before in whatever you do. So we were very, very fortunate. The number two person at Alibaba, his name is Joe Tsai, and he is the CFO there. Now he's the uh, vice chair. And uh, he went to Yale. He went to Yale for college, and then he went to Yale for law school. And he's obviously done very well at Alibaba. And he has given us a gift to start something called Tsai City. Tsai is his name. City is like city, but it's an acronym. Center for Innovative Thinking at Yale. And that is our center where students who are interested in startups, who are interested in entrepreneurial activities, will be mentored, uh, will learn new ways of thinking, will learn how to uh, start a venture, or learn how to think like people who start ventures. That uh, side city is right next door to something called the Center for Innovative Thinking and Design, which is also a place at Yale where you can roll up your sleeves and uh, actually build things. Uh, they, uh, do they use the phrase makerspace uh, in Nigeria? It's makerspace, essentially. And, uh, uh, and so we are, this is, we're building up a kind of hub of activity. And we're looking for students to come as, for people to come as students, for faculty to uh, 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 do relevant research, but, but all in the name of partnership. What can we do? What can we do together? Well, it's clear to me that uh, the world is not becoming bigger, it's becoming smaller. And that that's going to create lots of opportunity for people like me to come here, for people like you to come see us, but most importantly for us to work together wherever we end up. National borders are not going to be as important, I think, down the road. And we're going to be working uh, in ways that take advantage of each other's skills, take advantage of each other's backgrounds, teaching take advantage of each other's unique history 
but doing that together uh, in, a, in a collaborative way. So I look forward to hearing from all of you about uh, ways we might do that, areas that might be interesting to you. But I want to thank you for the welcome here to TechPoint. I want to thank you all for coming today. And mostly, we have, uh, we've only been in Nigeria less than 24 hours now, but we will be here for a few more days. And uh, our visit has been fantastic so far, and we thank you for the hospitality and friendship that uh, Nigerians have been showing to us since we arrived. Thank you all so much. Thank you very much. Uh, so I'm going to introduce my co-moderator for this event, Isioma Utomi, who is the executive director at the Center for Values and Leadership. She will coordinate events from here. Thank you, Emmanuel. Good afternoon, everyone. Wow, I love this like a class. Um, my name is Isioma Otomi, as you said, so I'll be helping to co-moderate the session. But first of all, we're going to have a couple of presentations by a few representatives from the ecosystem. Then we'll be following that with the town hall session, which is a bit more of an open discussion. So I'd like to welcome Muiwa, who's the chief editor at TechPoint, to give us a timeline view of the ecosystem in Nigeria and the role of the media. Thank you, Muiwa. Thank you, Isioma. And we have the all right. So my name is Muiwa Matuluku, um, co-founder, editor-in-chief, TechPoint Africa. Um, I hope I'm not blocking. Okay, so I'm supposed to give a, just a brief timeline of the role of media in the Nigerian startup ecosystem over the past few years. I mean, whenever we talk about innovation and startups, you always talk about the the, the people behind these startups and innovations, but we, we never talk about the media. And the media has a very important role to play in terms of driving the conversation and shaping the narrative. So just a brief timeline. Um, everything, so the media has been playing um, what we have as the Nigerian startup ecosystem. The media didn't start playing a deliberate role until around 2008, 2009, which is about 10 or 11 years ago. Um, in the beginning, we had uh, Web Trends, which was founded by um, Sheriff Shitu a serial entrepreneur. So he had a passion for web trends <laughs> and uh, he just started to curate and you know what was going on in Nigeria around the web. But at that time it was just more of like a hobby and just sharing ideas, sharing thoughts. And then, but then around 2011, four important things happened, four pivotal events in, in the Nigerian startup ecosystem. First of all, um, Simshagaya, a Harvard MBA um, started Deal Day, which was, um, for all intents and purposes, purposes Nigeria's first venture-backed e-commerce um, platform. I mean, there were a few other e-commerce platforms before them, but the first venture-backed was um, by Sim Shagaya. Then the second thing that happened, two guys, and there's a third guy in between them, um, Bosu Tijani and Femi Longe, decided a co-creation hub which was an incubation hub, the first of its kind, the first ever in Nigeria, and was supposed to um, you know, be a, a place, a community for incubating startups and supporting startups. Then the next thing that happened, all of this around that 2011, Jason Njoku, uh, with his friend Bastian Gota, started Iroko TV, which is sort of like um, a Netflix, but for Africa. <laughs> so <laughs> they started that. And then... Um, and same, all of this is before May 2011. Um, 
Sarah Lacey, who was writing, who used to be at TechCrunch. I'm sure we probably know TechCrunch in the US. Um, she came to, visited Nigeria, and a demo day was organized where a few startups um, pitched and shared their stories with her. And she was she was very um, she, she she liked what she saw, and then she started writing about startups. So she wrote an article about Eroko. She wrote a couple of series of things about the Nigerian startup ecosystem, and just a few months after, um, Iroko, that's the, again the Netflix of Africa, raised three million dollars in um, VC from Tiger Global, and then from there everything just blew up. So then we had Techloy, which came. So Techloy says it exists; it has been existing before that, but it didn't really start doing deliberate media coverage of the startup ecosystem until 2011. So we had Techloy, and then we had Otekbits. Um, these two were very prominent around that time, 2011. And then around 2013, Tech About came along the way. And Tech About took things um, a notch further. So before then, there, was, there, there wasn't, um, how, how do I put it? There wasn't that much deliberate effort in covering. There was, there was effort, but Tech About took things a notch further. Let's just put it that way. And then they hosted the first. No, go back, please. The first um, Tech About Battlefield, which was like the first ever, one of the first ever media-backed tech events that supported, um, and there was a pitch competition, and the winning startup got $10,000, like a grant. Uh, Prep class, that startup still exists today. They're still very healthy in operation. And then in 2015, Tech Point, where you are, came along. Uh, we started as Tech Point Nigeria uh, in 2015, and now we're Tech Point Africa. Like Adewale said earlier, we... Um, of operations in Lagos and Nairobi. Uh, so, and then we took, this, we took things much further also. So we host the biggest, the largest tech events in West Africa. Um, our events usually have like four or 5,000 people around, you know, talking about technology, innovation, conversations around that. We also do um, a startup competition. Um, this was Estate Intel that won last year, 2019. They won $10,000 also. They're also still very healthy and operating. And we also do um, town halls like this. Um, just in November earlier, we had Jack Dossi, CEO of Twitter here. And like Adwali mentioned earlier, um, someone got a job, on the sp- a job offer on the spot uh, from, from Jack Dossi because he did a, um, a Twitter bot, and they really liked what they saw, and they offered him a job on the spot. And then, so now the media now plays beyond beyond driving the conversation or shaping the narrative. The media also now plays roles like supporting startups, whether it's in terms of the pitch competition, startup competitions, grants, and all of that. And we also provide intelligence. So TechPoint, for example, has um, our funding reports, which gives analysis and intelligence into the funding activities in the Nigerian startup ecosystem. And of course, over the past year or two, some other players have also come into this space, media players. We have the likes of TechNext and Benjamin Dada blog. So these two are very, um, these two are among the, there are, are many more, but these are two among the most prominent new, new guys in the space. So the media continues to play its role, continues to play its role in terms of driving conversation, um, in terms of shaping narrative, every other way that we can support startups, whether it's the events we host. And yeah, so I think the next presentation will go a bit deeper into what exactly is going on in the startup ecosystem. Thank you.
Thank you, Muyua. Up next, we have Tosino Kojie. So he works for Andela and also happens to be a Yale SOM alum. Thank you. Okay, good afternoon. So yes, she's right. I wear two hats that I'm very proud of. Actually, three hats. I'm proudly Andelan. I'm a proud Yeli and proudly Nigerian. I thought you would clap to that. <laughs> okay. So I'll, I'll start with a, a personal story. The context of my presentation today or my talk today is really about the talent potential in Africa. And it's interesting that both Yale and Andela have played very interesting roles in that path. And I'll start with a personal story. So I was actually telling uh, one of the professors from Yale that I was born on Prospect Street on the Yale campus when my dad attended the School of Forestry. Um, uh knows my dad very well. Um, he, he was a Yale alum of 45 years now, yes. Um, and then that... Fast forward 20-something odd years, I went back to the Yale campus for my MBA, also School of Management on Prospect Street, and I ended up living on Prospect Street, <laughs> where I was born. <laughs> um, and obviously, that propelled my career. Uh, I was able to work with Fortune 100 companies. I moved back to Nigeria to make an impact, and I've done quite a number of things. Uh, and now I'm at Andela as the Senior Director for Finance, Financial Planning and Analysis for Africa. Um, but... Somewhere along the line, I was asked a question. In fact, this was when I was working in the U.S. I, someone asked me, wow, or, or someone made a statement, wow, you know, one day you're going to become president of Nigeria. You're so smart and intelligent. And I thought about it, and the answer I gave was, not really. Yes, you might say I'm smart and intelligent, but I'm one of hundreds of thousands or millions of Nigerians. The only difference is that I've gotten the opportunity, an investment of a year education, the investment of an IFE education, great, great IFE. Yes. You know, and it is these, it is these investments that have helped me to do the things that I do. And so I'll talk a little bit about the Andela story. Not too much, I've been warned. <laughs> but, um, Andela, ha we have a, a saying in Andela, which is that brilliance is evenly distributed, but opportunity isn't. Uh, which just means that especially when you look at the African market, there is a lot of brilliance in terms of innovation, in terms of technology. What that brilliance is, is sort of crying out for is the opportunity to become a world beater. Now at Andela, we, we provide what's called engineering as a service. And so we have partners in the US, but you can see so many stories of people who, for example, a lady called uh, Christine Mba, uh, uh, you'll correct me there if I'm wrong, yeah, who was a kitchen staff, but because of the investment that she got, a training in technology, she's pursuing a career in software development. I actually heard a story, I don't know how far this is, about a fisherman who is now a software developer because of the investment in his career. And so that's the sort of thing that Andela does, partnering and uh, with uh, companies in the U.S. so that that, op that brilliance that we have here gets the opportunity to solve problems that are global. Um, but we don't do it alone. You know, obviously we see institutions like Yale come here to do the same sort of thing. But even here, we work within an ecosystem where Andela has a learning community where we partner with uh, Facebook, with Microsoft, with Google, and to train developers and give that brilliance the opportunity to be a world beater. Uh, if I remember correctly, we've done about 33,000 individuals 
uh, over the last few years, but the target is 100,000, that 100,000 Africans, Nigerians in Nigerians, Kenyans, Ugandans, South Africans, uh, Rwandans, Egyptians will have the opportunity and the investment so that they can solve global problems. And the problem is huge. The opportunity is huge. Uh, statistics will tell you that there are over a million tech jobs in the U.S. that are unfilled. Obviously, they're a more developed economy, and so you will have a much more advanced stage of their businesses. Uh, now, look on the other side. In Africa, you have 420 million people within the age bracket of 25 and 35, a third of whom are unemployed. And so, on the one hand, you have the opportunity. On this side, you have the brilliance. And what I'll speak to is two things. One is the potential is there, the talent is there. A lot of times the challenge is understanding and being aware of that, that uh, talent. So for folks who have never been to Nigeria, and I'm glad that you're here, it's easy for people to tell you about it and you sort of, you know, throw it off. But when you come, you will see the, the passion, you see the ability, you see the hustle. You see people who are just, in, you know, you see startups and innovators who are simply just looking for the opportunity. And I'm glad that we're starting to see a lot more structure around providing access to that opportunity. Because ultimately, the problems that we solve as we become one global village uh, are global. And so where that talent comes from doesn't matter as much as the fact that that talent is able to do what it should do and fulfill its potential. Um, and then the other piece to it is the infrastructure, you know, the processes and systems, the programs to help invest in, in that talent. So um, there is a commercial side to it. You know, uh, I was reading somewhere that between now and 2030, about $160 billion is going to be lost because there isn't the talent to fill jobs. And I think it goes beyond that. It's not just about filling jobs and making money. It's about the talent that's going to create the solutions that will make the world a better place. Uh, one of the statements that we, we use, well, the motto of the business school in Yale is building leaders for business and society. So the money part is great, the filling of the jobs, the getting investment into your startup, but it's also being able to solve the problems that the world faces on a global scale. And I personally see from my experience at Yale, from my experience at Andela, from my experience in the Nigerian ecosystem that the talent is ready. All we're looking for is the opportunity to match up with Oh, yeah, is the opportunity to match up with it so that we can show our brilliance. So I won't speak much longer. I'm glad that uh, we've got the team here and I'm glad we've got this, you know, wonderful group of people here. And my hope is that that matching will also take place over the course of this program where brilliance meets opportunity to solve global problems. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tosin. Thankful for the insights about the talent landscape and the role of organizations like Angela in this space. So now we're going to give you an idea of the landscape in terms of the VCs, the incubators and accelerators available. And I'll call back Emmanuel to give us that presentation. Thank you. Hi, everyone. I'll try to make this very quick. So we've gone through the history, but it's also important to talk about like what's happening in the ecosystem right now. Uh, I need to put a caveat that this is a really, 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 really quick overview. So if I leave out any names and all, please pardon me. Next slide. 
But I'd like to start with, with a few fun facts, right? I don't know how many of you saw this report a couple of days ago that Nigeria was the continent with the top startup investments for 2019. I think about $1.3 billion or so was invested in startups across Africa last year, and about 48%, if I'm right, 49% of that came into Nigeria, right? So that's something that we should be proud of. Uh, Nigeria also has uh, one of the fastest growing developer communities in the world, right? And that's a fact, right? Uh, I think a report came out from GitHub late last year about the fact that Nigerian developers are probably like the top in the top three or so of those committing to GitHub like globally, and I think that that's just to show that uh, to Tosin's point about talent that there's a lot happening in the developer ecosystem. There's a lot happening in the talent space in Nigeria as well. Uh, and for me, this is my favorite fun fact for various reasons. Right? Uh, the reality is that you're not going to see like the startups that are successful in Nigeria. Aren't building like Snapchat for kittens, right? They aren't building uh, some. Uh, pro- they are not building uh, using the painkiller versus vitamins analogy. And I know we have a lot of medical folks in here. They'll tell you that you need painkillers to survive at some points, right? If if you have like major issues, but I mean you can survive without vitamins when you think about it. But like a lot of the startups in Nigeria that are thriving today are solving real problems. Right. And that's something that personally I'm proud about because, hey, you just need to look around to realize that there are a lot of challenges. There are a lot of issues. And like startups within the ecosystems are the one within the ecosystem are the ones stepping in to bridge that gap to say, hey, I mean, I like to use uh, this is a picture of Life Bank. They're literally saving lives by delivering blood, uh, hosting like a blood bank and delivering blood to hospitals when they need them just in time, for instance. People use piggy bank here, for instance, and like their dirty December was probably good because they were able to save all through the uh, all through the year and things like that. I mean, many of us move around uh, in Lagos on motorcycles and tricycles. Max.ng, for instance, is solving that problem. And it, but my point in giving a few of these examples, and I'll give people in the room to share a bit more about like the work that they are doing. The reason why I'm saying all of this is the fact that. If you are not solving a real problem in Nigeria, you are not like you are not cut out for the startup ecosystem in Nigeria. Two is the fact that uh, it's also quite challenging in the sense that, despite a lot of these issues, uh, I mean, investors and you can check a lot of the successful startups in Nigeria. Like, we don't have the luxury, for instance, of like building for growth and then getting raising funds just because like you have potential for growth. Like a lot of these startups that I'm talking about, right, right from day one, they are generating revenue, they are building these solutions sustainably. And I think that that's something for us to be very proud about. So with this fun fact out of the way, uh, I wanted to then quickly show a lot of the enablers that uh, pretty much enable a lot of the successes that we see in the ecosystem. The first category category that I'll talk about is the incubators and accelerators. So this is just a cross-section. Again, please don't shoot me if your incubator accelerator isn't mentioned. But this is just like a quick cross-section of some of the incubators and accelerator accelerators in the space. There's a Google Launchpad accelerator. There's a, an accelerator that's, uh, that's run by Facebook. Uh, there is Itana, which is also an accelerator that's run by the Honeywell Group, I think. Passion Incubator, there's MEST, there's She Leads Africa. Then there's the other category, 
which are hubs and co-working spaces. Again, Facebook as an NGO, there's co-creation hub that had been mentioned earlier. The civic hype that's run by budgets that focuses on like civic innovation and, and things like that. Monster Points is a co-working space. Innovation Orb is also a, a very popular co-working uh, orb in, uh, I think they're based in Lagos, Ibadan, and maybe Abuja as well. Lead Space, Start Innovation Orb, I think they're based in Enugu or Uyo, right? Uh, Workstation is also like a network of co-working space across the city. Enob is based in Joss, right? Colab is based in Kaduna. Orb One is based in Yaba here. It's run by FCMB uh, Bank. Rua, Nigeria, I think they're based in Enugu, right? Uh, and then there's Vibranium Valley close to the international airport as well. Uh, also, let's talk about the funders. Again, I deliberately left out a lot of the investors outside of the ecosystem. I wanted to spotlight investors that are based here that have like operations within the space here. Uh, Ventures Platform is very popular. They, they run an accelerator program as well. They used to, I'm not sure. But they do a lot of they do a lot of investments in that space. Echo VC is probably one of the most successful uh, local VCs within the space. They've done a lot of deals. Uh, there's growth capital by CCO. There's Alithia Capital. I think they're very focused on uh, women uh, run businesses. I'm not sure, but they do a lot of work in that space. Many of us are familiar with the Tony Lumelu Foundation as well. I believe we had a meeting there. Uh, the Steelcom Capital. There's Endeavor uh, that launched in Nigeria in mid-2018, I think. There's the GAM, I'm not sure how they pronounce it, but they've also done a lot of almost P-type deals, if you think about it. There's Greenhouse Capital that's run by Venture Garden Group and by Brainham Valley. There's Ingressive Capital. Greenhouse Capital also runs Greenhouse Lab, which is an accelerator program. Uh, there's Ingressive Capital. Then there's the Lagos Angel Network. That's a group of angel investors within the space and all of that. This slide is very important because one of the things that I've learned, especially when it comes to funding within the ecosystem, is that foreign capital isn't going to come in except there are people within the ecosystem that are literally putting their cash in, right? Funding follows, uh, how I put it, like if you don't have skin in the game, a lot of foreign investors don't come in. So these guys are doing a lot of work in showing like what's possible and attracting more capital into the space. And lastly, there's microtraction. There's probably more, um, but just to highlight. And then a few media folks as well. We've talked about Tech Point, Tech Cabal, Tech Next, Tech City. There's Benjamin Dada and a few others. I think it's also worthy of note to mention a few public agencies that are also, in a way, uh, whether supporting knowingly or knowingly. I mean, I had to put, <laughs> I had to put CBN there and NCC because whether you like it or not, you have to deal with regulators in that space. Uh, but there's a Lagos Innovate that's run by the Lagos State Employment Trust Fund, which is a deliberate uh, effort by the Lagos State government, for instance, to support innovation within that within the space. And then there's the Office for ICT Innovation and Entrepreneurship that's domiciled with NIDA. NIDA is the Nigerian, I, I don't know, it's like the federal body, so to speak, that's supporting innovation within, within the country. Uh, and then lastly... There are a few communities here and there. There's a lot, but I'll highlight for loop uh, because a lot of the work that's also done, like in the developer ecosystem, uh, for loop does a lot of work in bringing together a lot of the developers within the space. And I also deliberately put main one here just because people don't like appreciate 
the fact that none of this would be possible, for instance, without like the fiber backbone or the internet backbone that a lot of this runs on. So I think that people don't talk about Mayon a lot when it comes to things like this, but I think that they play a huge role in like laying the fiber backbone that a lot of the for, for a lot of the work that, that we're doing here. Uh, yeah, and then there are communities like Tedexia, but the start of Grand Lagos. This is the last slide. I deliberately did not put any startups on this. I believe that the conversations, a lot of us in the room are running startups, and then you get to talk about like the real solutions that you're building. Uh, but I hope this is a useful introduction just to give you like the lay of the land, first of all, and then we're just going to now dive into a lot of the conversations. I'll hand over to Isioma. <laughs> but maybe a good place to start is to ask the yield same questions, for instance. Based on these presentations, what are your thoughts? Okay, so this is the free and open part of the discussion. So for those of us who are visiting, if you have any comments or particular areas of interest that spiked during any of the presentations, it's a good time to state your opinions. So you have any comments? Something like anyone with a comment? Ah, someone in the audience comment. We're already getting the audience feedback. Well, my name is Daniel Eschert, Handler Semis for the Nation newspaper. I, when I see a lot of these presentation, I, I think there's, there's a need to look at the informal sector. I remember a study group in the UK did something on the startup. I said, you can't do those things without going to Imo State, to Araria. There are a lot of small, small things that are happening there. And a lot of concentration and so much on Lagos. You know, but when you go out and see millions that are happening in Imo states and in all these places, Aba, you know that there are a lot of small technology things that are taking place. And also, when you're, you're writing the history of startup in Nigeria, you can't forget Success Digest, the publisher of Complete Sports. A lot of what is happening there started there. And when we do that, and it's a big oversight. And then also, once you don't do that, this history is not correct. A lot of what happened in CC Hope happened after uh, success that just went out of the uh, out of the system. So it's good to put this thing correctly, you know, because when these things go international, I travel outside too. I might have opportunity to speak on this thing. So it's also good to put this information correctly. Awesome, thank you, Daniel. I think he raised an important point, especially around the role of the media and history as it were. So I think even in the U.S., there are certain points, certain locations that have a high concentration uh, when it comes to technology and the like. There's a reason everyone has heard about Silicon Valley. Um, but at the same time, it's true. Like they mentioned during the presentation, we have hubs now in Enugu, Potakot, in different spaces. So it's gradually growing. So it's about getting the word out there. Thank you for that point. So anyone else with a comment? Now, th thank you for a really interesting overview presentation from everyone. My question uh, has to do, and maybe someone from the audience might have input, uh, to what extent are uh, some of the tech entrepreneurs looking at a regional market versus uh, the domestic market? Um, how are they positioning themselves to be able to access opportunities beyond the borders of Nigeria? Who wants to take that question? Hi, um, my name is Larry. Okay, yeah, Larry from Techabao. Um, so I think it's an interesting question because we've, we've begun to see, like, especially fintech startups expanding outside Nigeria. You know, um, I think it was Lydia, you know, expanding to South America, I believe. Um, already we have something like um, 
it comes like flood a wave that's already across African nations. So we're seeing more of that with the fintech startups at the moment. Um, I believe that um, we're going to see more of that happen. Um, the startup that Manu spoke about, um, LifeBank, they just piloted their drone what, um, drone delivery system in Ethiopia. You know, so we're going to see more of that. And I think something that is embedded into the minds of most tech entrepreneurs, actually those who've been in the system for a long time, is you build local, but you think global. And that's, that's the way it is. Any, any, any reactions yeah. to that? So I, I'll take that, but I'll add that. Because you're talking about the regional, I mean the local one from different states, and we are looking at region. I'll use TechPoint as an example. Uh, in, 2015, in 2016, we started something called TechPoint Talks that we go beyond Lagos. We pack ourselves in the bus, my entire team. We started with the northern region of Nigeria. We went to Abuja, to Kaduna, then to, to Joss. For stories, we're looking for different stories, and we got a lot from there. Then the next year, I think we, do, we did the southwest about Port Harcourt, even Anambra that you mentioned, we were there, we went to Innocent and different stuff. Then we did Southwest. But a thing you should know about that is sometimes when you are covering this region, there's no enough innovation or people doing a lot of things there because the primary problem people are solving there, maybe it's not startup related for now. If you, for example, that we see startups that having, uh, for example, Shim Shagaya is in just now, his developer team, the engineering team, they're currently there. But most of the solution, they are still deploying it to Lagos because it's about the market, it's about the demand. And you have to supply, that's the business. You can't be too emotional because a lot of people say, oh, take point, come to uh, Abuja, Port Harcourt, have a team. And I look at it, let's look at the cost because Everybody, if I put someone there, I will be paying your salary. There, is, there are things I will actually require from you as a human resource that you are there. So that's what we need to do. When you're doing, looking at innovation, there's a reason whenever you want, you see Uber or any other of this innovation, they are doing city activation, not country activation. You can activate Lagos, then you look at another market, where is the matured market and demand. So that's what you look at. We activate Lagos, we use Lagos to power other Nigeria, and we use Nigeria for West Africa. Then, beyond Nigeria, I remember when, in 2016, my co-founder and I, we traveled to Ghana for a story, and we're looking at, beyond Nigeria, can we go to Ghana? So we were in Ghana, but the demand wasn't that much for what we are looking at. And culture is the most important. A lot of startups, whenever they're going to different markets, they just, we've seen a lot of people go from Nigeria and they fail within six months because you don't respect people's culture. Every innovation, every startup, every business is, is driven by culture. We went to, someone, uh, myself and someone on the team, we went to Ethiopia last year because I love Ethiopia. I love the, uh, the, because they are the future, there are a lot of things coming out of Ethiopia because they are untapped market. But when we go to Ethiopia, there are a lot of things the news is not telling you. Ethiopia has just one network provider. The government shut down the internet 
when, whenever there's anything there. And you don't have the independence to write a story. The same thing we are enjoying here, you can't do it in places like Ethiopia and Tanzania and some other countries. And, and I know this, I'm not even making this up. So I see the challenges. And another thing is language. So language barrier is key. We traveled to West Africa. We covered West Africa. So we traveled to different West African countries. A lot of people actually speak French, which are Francophone countries. So if you are building a solution, are you going to put your language? Because the moment it travels beyond this Lagos border, it's another solution entirely. Someone in the Republic of Benin, the primary language is language. I mean, it's French. So those are things that we discover that is very hard for innovation. You would discover that every most Nigerian startup, whenever they want to expand, they don't stop. They don't go to Republic of Benin, even Ghana. They go straight to Kenya because it's about the maturity of the market. You have to look at the maturity of the market. You have to look at the demand, and you have to look at culture. We're trying to recruit in Kenya, and we realize that. Kenya, Kenyans, they are different from Nigerians. <laughs> so if you give Kenyan time, that this is your resumption time or closing time, they close that time. And they will tell you, like, this is the time you close. I don't do weekend God. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. It's just some people that I've worked with, and I ask a lot of people. So when we now get there, we, we have this... De- I mean, Nigerians, we walk to seven, we walk to any time. We are so aggressive. You get, see, you don't know how much Nigerians are. Whenever you move, even when you go to a party, they see you, they will know you're a Nigerian. You understand? Because a Nigerian will follow you to a club on a Saturday, be asking you, will be asking you of the email he sent. You understand? So, so when you look at those things, those culture, you need to see that how will I scale in this market? How will I embed my solution into this market? So those are some of the challenges people are not looking at. And we, so we did something. We did our first West African conference last year. And we had startup from, yeah, so we ran up with this. We have startup from different regions, from Sierra Leone. We are from Senegal, Ivory Coast, Ghana. And so we had to bring most of these people down to the country. There was a guy we brought from where? Is this Senegal? The flight he was on, there were like three on that flight. So he was the only one. It was like a private jet we rented for the guy. So when you are looking at Africa, that's why I see a lot of reports coming and people say, Africa, Africa. No, you need to separate it. It's a different market. Whenever you are looking at, I know a lot of pitch deck here, you are putting 1.23. The potential is 1.2 billion people. It's not. So those are the challenges we discover. We are now learning. We have an SME program because we do startup. We discover that our startup can't scale in Francophone countries, in the French-speaking countries. So we are now bringing our SMEs where we can actually partner with like telcos and we can start training people because most of the businesses there are not startup-related. I knew most of these startup that we actually brought from different West Africa, we just added them for the sake 
of the name and for the PR sake. I'm so sorry. A lot of things are happening, but that can scale the business. So those are the challenges, and there are much more, but I think we'll figure it out. But language is key. Language. Just to add one one quick point to Wallace's point is the fact that, at least in my experience, what I'm seeing is that there is now a growing trend of like startups that are scaling, that have gotten to that growth stage and are actually scaling in Nigeria, wanting to expand to maybe Latin America or other emerging ecosystems, even outside of Africa. Just because, like to Wallace's point, the reality is that we usually tend to lump up Africa as one lump, but the reality is that Nigeria, even Lagos as an ecosystem, is totally different from the rest of Africa, right? And maybe sometimes it's easier to find a parallel in maybe Peru or Brazil or like some East Southeast Asian country than it is in Africa. So that, that would be my point. Sure. Yeah, I definitely agree with the points. The influence of culture, language, especially Nigeria alone, we have, I believe, over 200 dialects. Fabulous. So you can imagine. <laughs> Good luck with that. Um, so, yes. so definitely there are a lot of challenges, but obviously looking at parallels, both in language, in experience and the market, so which is why a lot of organizations, startups are looking not just geographically, but just in terms of economic similarities to the market that they are interested in. So any further comments? Oh, yeah. So, so let me say this. I'll give you the mic, but now this is an open conversation. So if there are questions you want to ask of the Yale team, I'll give you the opportunity to ask. Uh, I'll also put out a few questions. I'm very interested in the conversation around like policy in Nigeria, for instance, like how is that helping or like what needs to be done to move us forward? I mean, we've talked about a lot of the successes, for instance, but from a policy standpoint, what do we need to do? Or like, what's the state of policy in Nigeria and how can we move forward? I'm also curious to uh, talk specifically about education in Nigeria. What role are tech startups, for instance, playing in Nigeria? And but I'll, So I'm just saying that to, to provide some context. It's an open conversation. Feel free to jump in. But we'll probably just pause at some point to have like specific conversations about those points. Sir? Oh, yeah. uh, good afternoon. A quick one, uh, just in addition to what uh, he has shared his experience in Kenya. Uh, my name is Isaiah. I'm the co-founder of Technology Mirror and also the country editor. Uh, last year, we were trying to get someone from Kenya, a young lady, to report for us. And we just we gave her a few uh, assignments and actually had to do an event that I was also tracking online. And she was actually at the venue of that particular event. I discovered that she was taking her time. It takes her time to get to the event, you do this. I said, please, I need that story now because I need to upload it. Unlike the culture here in Nigeria, we we are very aggressive and we rush. So it's obvious that culture, like as he has said, is a great challenge. But the question is, how do we address the issue of culture. I, I mean... There's something that you made, which I need to add there. See, what I discover is Lagos... So, Lagos is different from Nigeria. <laughs> you guys in Lagos, whenever you travel... So, when you go to Ibadan or you go to Jos, the culture is similar to, like, Kenya, the Ghana. Okay, I'm, I'm so sorry. It is what it is. But Lagosian, so a lot of people get to miss, meet Lagosian much because we are the one that expand from this market. So let me say this. What I've discovered, Lagos is different from 
uh, every other Nigeria because we are the aggressive people. We're just like this. So whenever people now see Nigerian outside, you they actually address us as the gosh in Ibadan. If you wake up by six o'clock, I mean, I I came from Ibadan. Trust me, I lived there my life. If you wake up by six o'clock, uh, your parent or people around you will. They can tag you, Amber, or something like that. Like, why are you waking up that early? But in Lagos, by 4.30, there's traffic on the road. (laughs) So sometimes we need to understand that this thing is not entire Nigeria. It's actually, when we are labeling it, we should know that the aggression aggression is Lagosian, not someone from other parts. So the culture is important. Culture is important by the country's border as well. Right. Can we switch gears a bit and talk about like some of the innovators in the room who are building startups? I'm curious to know like some of the startups in the room and like the specific solution that you are providing or the specific problem that you are solving. Does anyone want to take? Okay. So I just take like three or four. Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Chijoke Ahaneku. I'm the founder and CEO of Untapi, a social mobile-first e-learning platform that supports indigenous teaching and learning and also learning in English of digital skill sets and cutting-edge methods. So my question is to Mr. Peter and the rest of the EOT. Because on our platform, aside from um, supporting independent, aside from supporting institutions and educational organizations in Africa, we also support independent tutors. So how best can we categorize specialties for independent tutors on our platforms? Because I... With our understanding, we, we get to, we get to know that there are institutions that have specialty in hospitality, in psychiatry, in management, and stuff like that. So how can we categorize the specialty of independent stores on our platforms that teach other indigenous in Africa? Sorry, you need to break that down a, a bit further because even I am struck, like, I understand the question, but I, I just want to put some context out there that He's a professor of psychology, for instance. Uh, I mean, medicine, medicine, medicine. Uh, so I don't want us to ask, like, two technical questions. If it's, like, a question about, like, collaborating with you, then that's great. If it's a question about, I mean, I have a question for them around, uh, like, leadership, for instance, and how, like, leaders within the ecosystem can actually chart a course and, like, scale the work that we're doing. I think that's interesting. But, like, I don't want us to go too technical, just... Okay, I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> okay, are you talking about just categorization in terms of how people are looking at the outcome of your programs? Like if somebody has a degree in dentistry versus I want to learn a specific thing about my locution. But you know, the question is, now if you're an independent store, when you sign up on our platform to teach, now we have to vet you, right? And we have to vet you based on your specialty to be sure you're competent to teach now, how best can we categorize the specialty of independent tutors, not institutions and organizations? Is it the same way they categorize the specialties of institutions that we are to categorize the specialty of independent tutors? That's, that's the question. Do, am I clear? I think that's more your choice. <laughs> Sorry? Should I, should I take it all again? Should I take it all again? Justin, do you want to respond to that? Well, first of all, how much of your company are you willing to give to me? <laughs> because that's a, it's a business, um, it's a business problem you're facing. Just from a previous life, what I would say is, 
I suspect that you probably have greater insight because what works in Yale will not work in Nigeria. There's going to be a uniqueness to how our educational system poured out those individuals, the different pathways they've built, the skill sets that they, they want to leverage on your platform that you then have to figure out how do you categorize and catalog this in a manner that both they can find the right place to say, but so you can also assess the quality and caliber of their, their competence. So it's, it's, it's a local, what I, I guess the, the summary is it's a local, there's a local solution to it that, that would have to do with the uniqueness of the sort of skills. So good example with medicine now, I'm sure there'll be people who have uh, a more traditional uh, vent or spill to the skill sets that they have. How do you treat that? It's not going to be necessarily in a structured academic manner, but you have to figure out what works best for the market you're in and the sort of skill sets that, that are in there. But we can talk later if, if you're interested. All right. You want it to? Um, hi, um, good afternoon. My name is Nelson Uzenabo, and I'm a product manager with a fintech firm. So um, the startup I work for is... So the problem we saw is that a lot of people leave Nigeria to seek funding, right? And um, pretty much what we've done is to create a platform where we can bring businesses and investors together, which doesn't exist, um, bring SMEs together on that platform. So... Um, you can ask for funding, you can ask for advisors, you can act in the media space and pretty much um, seek funding rather than going to pitch in a room. And everything is basically digitalized. So you get to see an investor send him a proposal, he reads it and gives you, gives you his feedback. So at the end of the day, you can get your funding, get advisors on this particular platform. So um, across Africa, there is really no platform. So it's called Compex Company Exchange. So you could have partial sale full sale of your business and um, get people to loan you money even on that same platform. So what we've done is um, we go into production um, sometime next month and um, pretty much it. So people here can eventually ask for funding um, at almost um, minimal cost on Compex Africa. So pretty much that's it. Thank you. Uh, Wells, I'll come to you. One quick uh, let's let's just take a few more startups and then we'll come to the question on education. Okay, good afternoon everybody. All right, so I'm gonna talk about the startup first and I have a question to also ask. Yeah. Alright, so uh, I run udija.com and udija.com does two things basically. Um first we're a marketplace for event services and secondly we're helping the vendors register on our platform to also build their businesses so you find out that the number of these guys are doing three or more services they are caterers they are fashion designers they are hairstylists they have three different things you know it's all hustle so we're helping take out that part that is in the event space and helping them to manage it digitally in terms of accounting customer retention management and all of those while on the second side for the customers it's a marketplace to get whatever event service you need in Lagos. And we know that the event space in Lagos is actually uh, a big one. And secondly, I was going to ask based on um, entrepreneurial education. So, um, also a student at the University of Lagos, my finals now, and I'm the president of my faculty association. And I found out that the number of ideas that are coming up among, you know, people, students, 
And something I, I do find it a bit strange that it's someone like me that you're coming to meet for mentorship and advice. I'm like, you, I just, I did not start too long ago. There's, there's not so much I can help you out with right now. It means that there's, there's not, there's not much above that they can look up to. So it's just me and someone that just graduated this year. So there's a, there's something lacking there in terms of the school, school system also providing entrepreneurial education for those that are interested. So I want to know if Yale is looking, is up to have a partnership maybe with the entire school, University of Lagos, or with the faculties, something that can also help students, you know, access mentorship and also possible funding. Thank you. Nice. So uh, thank you for that question. You know, what you're describing sounds a little like the um, partnership that the uh, School of Management, Yale School of Management, has with the Lagos uh, School of Business, Business School. Um, what that partnership does is create a network of faculty and a network of students where the faculty can provide mentorship to anybody in the network, from any of those schools, and where the students can find each other and, and develop ideas together uh, as well. And then there's a lot of visiting each other's universities, uh, you know, during vacations and school breaks and things. So um, I think I think that's one model, and uh, and you know, working through the two uh, business schools together uh, in that way. Do you want to add to that? Do you want to add to that? One question that comes to mind is, um, what is the relationship? I wonder if there's a relationship between the Lagos Business School and these tech startups and entrepreneur stuff. I don't. Is there something between the Lagos Business School and the entrepreneur world? Is that so? So the one thing that I know, I know they run this entrepreneurial management course, but sometimes I think it's priced above what a lot of tech startups can. Yeah can afford, uh, but that's the only one that I know, at least as far as LBS goes. So the, so the Lagos Business School is actually under Pan-Atlantic Pan University, and so aside from Lagos Business School, they also happen to have the Enterprise Development Center, which most of their work is centered around SME development, and so therefore they want to talk to you, but yes, I would say that they have programs that are somewhat targeted around um, startups and SMEs, so that might be a place to look at, but I think as an organization... They are definitely trying to form uh, relationships with the different communities. Someone has a question. Just to add one thing, uh, School of Management at Yale now has an entrepreneur's curriculum uh, that uh, essentially helps students who want to, who have a startup idea, uh, uh, develop it and uh, learn the skills you need to uh, market it, get it funded, and uh, build an organization around it. I'm not positive I'm not completely sure about this, but I would bet that students at Legos Business School who are part of this network uh, can access that curriculum at uh, Yale SOM. Sorry. Okay. So my name is Mohamed Isu. I'm a researcher with Emissi3D. And Emissi3D is an extended reality creation lab dedicated to building a community of extended reality enthusiasts, technologists, creators in the continent of Africa. And um, 
we're trying to solve the problem we're trying to solve is that there's a global conversation going on around extended reality, some VR, AR, everything in between. And we want Africa to have a voice in that conversation. But you can't have people talking in that conversation if they don't know what VR is, what AR is, they don't have the skills to contribute to that conversation and like there's there's a gap. I finished my undergrad study not too long ago in University of Lagos and I can tell you for a fact that there's nothing there teaching people anything about extended reality. Like you could go through university in engineering and not know what VR is and never have come in contact with that. So that's one of the problems we're trying to solve. And a lot of our efforts are towards, you know, empowering, enlightening the community, first of all, letting people know what extended reality is, everything that is involved in that, um, empowering them. So some of the things we do is give scholarships to students who are looking to learn about virtual reality and how to become developers and creators. And the reason why I wanted to jump in real quick when we're talking about Lagos Business School, because one of the projects we're working on for this year is um, working around build, um, teaching children empathy using virtual reality, because a lot of research is being done about how virtual reality can in, improve people's, people's empathy processing and stuff like that, yeah. Um, there's also a lot of research being done in the medical um, institutions about how virtual reality can also help people with, let's say, disabilities recover quicker because it's a lot about the mind and all of that. So, yeah, I think um, it's relevant for um, people in Africa to be engaged in that conversation. I, and it's, the problem is that nobody knows that there's a conversation going on. So it's, that's one of the things I would, I would, li I would like, like to be shared upon as we have this conversation going forward, yeah. Um, the lack of awareness for technology, exponential technologies, especially in the continent of Africa. Like the big names aren't doing anything to make sure people in Africa know that there's a bigger conversation going on on the global stage. Yeah. Sorry, I'll take a few more like startups, but I want us to switch gears a bit and actually talk about. I see the guy from Itziva, Eritrea. I want to get your thoughts on like the gap that edtech startups, for instance, uh, uh, are filling in Nigeria. I mean, we've talked about education, we've talked about like universities, uh, Unilag, but I want to hear from you uh, what you think. Thank you. Um, so I'm just going to be very quick. My name is Eitayo. Um, people just call me Tayo. I run, I don't run an edtech company, I run a tech education company. Um, they're like two different things. Uh, and usually I like to, you know, advocate for a new um, micro industry of the education landscape. Um, those that are building technology products and using technology products to power anything around education, uh, we call them the edtech guys. Uh, but people that are building talent in the, for the technology industry, we are like the tech ed guys. So tech point, hope you know that now. Okay, so uh, primarily the problem we are trying to solve is to make sure that um, the technology industry grows very fast. It's like accelerating the technology industry from the talent point of view, from the, from the talent side of things. Uh, so there are two different dynamics to the problem. The first part is post-secondary school leavers, um, university graduates, the fact that people are leaving the university and jobless. I mean, I was jobless for two years of my life, and I couldn't get a job because um, I'd gone to the university to study a course that no one was hiring for. Um, so what some guys do in that industry is to look for super brilliant young guys in the university, train them in some premium digital skills. So you think of organizations like um, Covenworks, 
um, what Covenworks does is to help you know young people that are leaving the university to learn premium digital skills like data, like artificial intelligence, like blah, 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 blah. Now, what we do uh, at Jutiva is to look at the higher end of the talent um, um, the talent hierarchy, to look at people who already have jobs um, but are looking to transition to the tech industry. So one of the major challenges you should note is once you run a technology company in Nigeria, it's easy to work with very junior staff at the beginning. But once you raise money and you want to grow fast, you need some more senior guys to jump in. Now, the big gap in Nigeria today is that big brands, the corporates, you know, the corporations, they attract the very senior talent, and it's very difficult for small tech startups to um, attract those type of people. I mean, when you work with a, a bank as a product manager, you earn like um, 700,000. Uh, what's that in, in dollars? Uh, Okay, like $2,000, right? But when you want to work with a technology startup that is just about two, three years old, it's very difficult for that type of technology company to offer you $2,000 in Nigeria. So what we are doing is to develop this type of people, you know, that are already working with traditional companies to help them learn premium digital skills so that it's easier for them to transition and work with startups. So when you come for some of our, like, data classes, our... Um, you know, AI class or product school, you see people that are coming to learn so that they can work with startups. Uh, so you see organizations like Decagon doing almost the same thing. You, you see Semicolon, you know, doing almost the same thing, you know, building software engineers for startups and also building software engineers for, you know, senior or big brands. Um, in terms of the industry landscape, what I would say is, you know, very big thanks to Andela for breaking the industry. Uh, the the education industry used to be very boring, and um, no one wanted to invest in that industry until Andela came into the space. Um, so you see, you see investors talking to tech, um, fintech companies, and see them talking to the insurtech, even to the agriculture, you know, companies. Uh, when it comes to education, no one wants to talk to the education guys. Why? Because it's kind of very slow. It's a very slow industry. You have to build a curriculum. You have to test the curriculum. You have to pivot the learning. You have to evaluate. You have to wait for hiring partners to hire your talent. It takes time. It takes a lot of patience um, to really build real products. Unlike building one technology solution that's just a plug and play and people can just use. So one of the things that we agree to do as the tech ed industry is to be very patient. Um, thanks for the Andela again for showing us that you have to be patient, but while you're patient, you have to also think of how you want to scale the learning. So you see Covenworks, a, an industry leader in that space, you know, working in about five different states now in Nigeria. Uh, you see a Jutiva working in about four different states in Nigeria, trying to scale learning and accelerate learning. Um, so as a, as a way to round up, one of the things that we have seen in this industry now is that because of the pressure, I mean, when you build a tech company, it's easy for you to forget people like us, right? But when you need to hire, you, you come around, you, you're saying, give me CVs, because you need to hire very fast. So one of the things that we are beginning to do is to work with technology companies and help them understand that at some point in your growth you know, um, trajectory, you will need to hire super brilliant guys. So this is the time for you to co-create you know, learning programs with us. So you see Flutterwave, 
you know, working with us already to co-create learning programs, um, Softcom, and some other bigger technology companies. So this is me advocating for, you know, our industry. Uh, people that are running technology companies try to, you know, think ahead of the game, see how you can co-create learning programs so that when you need to hire smart people, it's easy for you to access the kind of talent that you want. Thank you. So, so, so what I'm hearing, thank you very much. What I'm hearing is that the universities, in a lot of ways, don't prepare like graduates even for like jobs of the future. So it's not even jobs of the present, right? Uh, but who has any thoughts on, I mean, without asking you to come like launch a campus in Nigeria, who has any thoughts on the role that Universities, for instance, like Yale, can play in that. I mean, they probably have curriculum that's, that, that, that might be useful. I'm just curious to know if anyone has thoughts on that. Excuse me, if I may interrupt for a minute. Yeah. I think it's been wonderful hearing all this. I really would like to hear one of our ladies' friends here speak. And the tech industry has some really fantastic women. And, and I see you all here, and I know that you have things in your head. So why don't we hear some of the ladies at least talk? Uh, that's what I want to say. Right. <laughs> so I'll come back to you, but who, who wants to take the mic? To follow up on that, I, re I remember in this industry about 10 years ago when I used to go for a tech event, I'd be the only woman in the room. So definitely, please let us have our voices heard. <laughs> Good afternoon. My, my name is Fumia Fulayo. I'm a graduate engineer and also a web developer. Um, the name of my startup is Enlega, and the startup is designed to provide easy access to justice. Even though I'm not a law um, student or a law graduate, I partner with someone that is a graduate, and we provide a platform to make um, justice available for people in Nigeria. But we have many challenges because people have not really been utilizing our platform. Um, we, we, we don't really know how to overcome it. We're having a lot of problems with funding. And that's why I'm here today. Maybe there are opportunities or there is a way we can go about this. Thank you very much. Okay. Does anyone want to respond to that? While we think about that, we'll get, you wanted to make a point about education. Thank you. Good afternoon. My name is Olua Jobani, CEO of Smogedutech and Associate of Learning Point. Um, we're also a tech ed, but we are doing something more dynamic in the K-12, from the K-12 range. Um, for about um, three, four years now, we've been hosting um, robotics education festivals, robotics competition. We've been doing free robotics training. We've, we've had that for more than 10,000 students across the country. We've been sponsored by the U.S. Consulate. Uh, we've hosted a lot of um, guys from all over, okay, from America. We are doing a lot of things with um, Robotech. Um, Robotech is the largest robotics education festival and competition in the world right now. We have started hosting that in Nigeria. We did the last robotics education festival at Zoom Tech Park last year. I don't know if anybody heard about that and all that. Okay, so I think there is a whole lot of um, shifts that should happen to this conversation. Um, Yale University, they, I'm aware that they have um, the Office of New Evening Affairs where, um, focused on K-12 where they try and build 
um, this um, 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 K-12 students in skills and all that. And I also understand that you're particular. I've read a lot of things, and I see you're particular about STEM education. STEM education, not as a robotics course, not as a coding course, but as a 21st century model of education that is project-based, that brings life to education. Okay, and I think uh, if we're talking about the ed, ed, ed tech startup here, um, there is a disjoint. A lot of ed tech, thank God for Andela once again, you've been doing a lot. I've followed them for years, and I'm seeing um, especially how they affected even the, the, the philosophy of Relen. Relen is also doing something like that. You know, but I think there's a disjoint. A lot of ed tech startups come from the business angle, and you know, they just. And that is how it's more of imitation. We're not, we're not, we're not delivering something that is contextual. There is no local context to what we deliver. And so we have a problem about, um, uh, my brother there talked about how he left the university and he, he finished with something that is not relevant, you know. So there has to be that conversation of, Pending the time we're going to have a philosophy or a policy that is going to encourage future relevant skills, you know, now in our classroom and in education, how are these tech ed startups and ed tech startups, how are we bridging the gap? Because that's essentially what we are known for. Okay, the, the startups in the country, we are mitigating the, the harshness of the consequences of our incompetence in leadership. That's what we have been doing. So if you're talking about ed tech startup and tech ed startup, we should be having a conversation of how can we leverage and take advantage of their presence of Yale University, look at what model is running for them right now, how can they tell us more about that, talk about the vision driving those offices, and how can we understand it? And I got, uh, um, um, sorry, I want to take this a bit personal. I got an admission into Florida Institute of Technology, and the uh, um, on a scholarship, I mean, I still got $8,000 scholarship, though the school fees were about 40000 and all that. I still couldn't afford it. And the admissions director, Stephanie Eustins, was telling me, like, what's up? We've not heard from you. I said, I can't come. It's too much. Yes. You know? And I, I thought about it. Okay, if, a lo- if I want to be a change, not the change, but a change, you know, I should be able to understand what exactly is driving. America is driving the change in 21st century learning by STEM education. There's a lot of money being thrown into STEM education, and I know Yale understands that, and you're also doing something about it. You know, what exactly are we supposed to know from them and adopt to our local context? So I said, okay, I should probably take further my education in STEM leadership or something that has to do with that. And I didn't find anywhere or anything like that in the whole of Africa. They are here now. How can you... Just, you know, how can we leverage on that relationship? It doesn't have to be a degree. You know, what exactly can you have as a provision where you can probably have Utiva, have COVID, have a lot of tech ads like that come around? Maybe a sort of mentorship, you know, or just chunk out stuff. How can we understand? Because insight is key for providing solution. And so I think it changes the whole conversation entirely. Once we begin to understand that this is what we want to achieve, this is how we can leverage on what they have to offer us. And then those that can afford it can also go for, you know, other graduate programs and all that. That's just what I have to say. Right, thank you. So so what I'm hearing is, uh, I mean, a lot of the work that they're already doing, maybe being more, something for them to think about, being more deliberating, maybe making it more open, uh, maybe inviting a few 
like change makers, so to speak, or leaders within that space who can then like take some of these learnings and build solutions around them is what I what I hear you saying. Tosin, let me take him first and I'll come back to you, please. Thank you very much. Good afternoon all. My name is George. I'm a finance professional. I work in investment banking space and I also run an NGO, Trupac Development Foundation. Um, my, we have done so much in terms of um, social impact. Right now, uh, my team is in Cross River State trying to see how they can help combat hepatitis because we discovered that it's uh, a silent killer right now. But over the, over the years, my experience in finance and my experience in, um, in the social impact space I discovered that there's something like it. Um, there's no handshake between the tech, the tech sector, and the social impact sec- sector, because oftentimes people who come to fund you, your funders are looking at Roy at the shortest possible space of time. They want to get their monies back. Three years, four years, they give you two million dollars. They expect that you should be able to turn this money and get out their profits on time and move. At the end of the day, you see that these things, the impact is not felt because we are profit conscious. So how is the tech space working with NGOs, the nonprofits, to make sure that the impact of tech is felt? Even the man on the street feels the impact. Like the question the man asked there is very vital. It's very easy for us to say Lagos is a busy, busy place. But we know that if we are not making impacts and we're technologists, we just want to take the money and run away. <laughs> At the end of the day, work done equal to zero. Thank God for Andela. But I want to see Andela, Utiva come to partner with NGOs like mine, other NGOs, because from there they can reach the people at the grassroots. Andela may just... I have known Andela several years, but what of people who don't know Andela? It's because I live in Lagos and I have access to the internet. What of the young talent in Onicha, young talent in Zuru, that they don't know anything about talent? It's through these NGOs that you are able to reach, to bring them to, uh, to Andela and Utiva and the likes of them. So what can we do in terms of the policy, in terms of everything, just to drive social impact innovation? Thank you. So I will take Tosin and then we'll switch gears to policy because that's actually an interesting and very important conversation. Thank you. So um, and to sort of answer your question first and then I'll, I'll speak to the earlier. You're right. It's about finding the balance because there's a balance between profitability and social responsibility. Um, if you don't balance it right, then there's no sustainability to it. Uh, and so that's that's where it is. And maybe I can use the Andela model as a bit because uh, we've, we've moved through a number of different phases in our development. In terms of what is very clear is one, or a few things are clear. One is that the educational system is not going to prepare you fully as it is currently structured for the world that lies ahead of us, particularly in the tech space. Um, and I'm glad that we'll have the policy discussion. The second is there is a huge gap between what the market needs, even the local market. Forget about the U.S. market, the European market. There's huge demand. So there isn't even enough for the local market. And we still are battling with 
this demand from outside. Now, a company like Andela has been able to step into the gap and there's a commercial business case for it. Uh, but even in the, the local market, you can see the struggles. The solution for me is multi-layered. One is investment is required. The reason why a lot of people speak about Andela is there were millions of dollars that went into developing talent, into training people, into ensuring that the right infrastructure is in place so that people don't have to worry about some of the things that we worry about and they can learn the skills they need to be effective, tech skills and, and otherwise. So there has to be a sustained investment in terms of money and in terms of people. So you also right, have the right quality of that upskilling. Uh, but I also want to uh, say there are programs like the ALC, so Adela Learning Community, which includes a Microsoft, a Google. There are a lot of organizations, a Microsoft, a Google, a Facebook, Udacity, that are investing in plural sites to say, hey, if people are interested in building skills, how do we help them? And it's a social responsibility. What I sense is we need more of that and in different areas. Uh, the way we are going about it is to solve a specific type of, uh, what I say, skill deficiency in the market, which is we need code developers. We might need other sorts of skills. Someone mentioned virtual reality. If It has to be a community-based thing where multiple institutions, and maybe including Yale, are contributing something to it in a manner that it's the, the objective is really how do we build the skills in the market for anyone but how do we also take away the financial burden? It has to be something that is, quote-unquote, open to all. If it, if it still boils down to you have to pay for it, then it will still, you know, sort of ostracize a part of the market. And that would, and we won't achieve that result. Now, I will say something about Yale. There's a huge endowment at Yale, and I'm not suggesting that you take the endowment and use it. But what I'm saying is that is an example of how there are people I got to study because some of my education was funded. But I'm just saying they, there's a monetary piece to it. People who have money have got to say this market is viable enough. And either we're putting our resources or we're putting our finances in it, not necessarily just to make money, but to build the ecosystem. Uh, but you cannot do it alone. It has to be something that involves a lot of partners who also have a lot of money and are willing to stay the course. Sorry, let me take two more comments from him and from Anyedi, then we'll switch to policy quickly. I see Anyedi from Google. I also know, do you have any thoughts to share? I know Google is also. Yeah, hi. Uh, my name is Anyedi, and I currently work with Google. So, the person I was going to address, has he left the room? Um, so I think when it comes to, first of all, partnering, as you're very right, you need to put a lot of money. But I think it takes some level of intentionality. You have to want to do it. So, um, like when you were going to start the Andela Learning Community, we came, to, we came to Andela and said, you have great learning science, you have infrastructure, um, we have some money. Uh, what could we do? I mean, we run technology communities, and we run technology communities across the whole of Nigeria. So we have communities in Guzo, in Oko. These are places where if you check on Google Maps, you might not even find them. Um, so I think for the person who wanted some sort of impact, okay, here's the one here. Um, you, you probably have to approach the Andelas. You can't expect them all the time to come looking for you. If you, if you see a possible partner 
to which you want to scale or run an opportunity with, you, you probably have to approach them. Um, also, on the concept of just, um, does this have to make business sense all the time? Probably not. Um, with the work we do, we who do it sometimes even question, like, why are we trying to spread this all over the place? Um, we've even done programs around digital skills for Africa, where we committed to trying to train 10 million Africans in five years. Um, it's when you look at an ecosystem where you look at a community and you really find out that, yes, the world's going digital, the future of work is changing, there's going to be a lot of transformations. But even as a company that wants to sell products or sell ads or wants to democratize education through YouTube, if people don't understand the basic digital skills, even how to set up an email address, how to use the internet to apply for stuff, then I think it's going to be a very, it's, it's a bigger challenge. So sometimes a lot of the investments you make don't always make sense uh, in terms of what's the ROI. But definitely um, when it comes to, and I, you, you hit on a couple of points, that's why I'm trying to change my script. Um, you need partners, uh, just like what you said. You're not going to be able to do it alone. And I think you also sort of like, there's some level of education. You talked about social impact. There actually are a lot of social impact tech-focused businesses that are doing very well. I think on your slide, you mentioned Civic Hype, which is actually an incubator and accelerator that is dedicated to trying to help socially focused or civic tech businesses um, scale. So maybe for you as a partner, it may be you who needs to step up and go take some of the advantages of civic tech and then sort of like get a little bit extra information and education on how best to work with the technology sector. But I think there are lots of opportunities and a lot of people are playing very significant roles in the space right now. Thank you. Thank you. Um, good afternoon. So um, I wanted to mention my startup, but then I also wanted to address a general thing I've seen here. My startup is called GC Africa. It was created because I worked with several arts organizations in the country, and I realized that there was a common problem, which was that most people felt unable to continue in the arts because Nigerians generally believe art is unserious. Now, why can't you be a doctor? Why can't you be a lawyer? Why can't you be an engineer? Why can't you be a banker? Why can't you do something that's going to make you profit? And I was inspired by that to find a sustainable way for Nigerian creatives to be able to make a living from their work, which is why I founded GC Africa. Now, over time, I realized that it wasn't just a culture thing. It was a structure thing. It was an infrastructure thing. And I understood that for problems like piracy and different issues, that there was a need for the industry to unite with one another. Now, I introduced my startup first because I also, there's a key word I use, which is unite. There is a need for Nigerians to unite. Our greatest problem is not investment. Our greatest problem is not even our education system. Our greatest problem is ourselves. We often speak about America, about England. And one thing I've seen about these people is these people built their nation. They built their nation and they didn't rely on the government to build it for them. It, they didn't rely on policies to build it for them. We had men like Vanderbilt. We had men like Rockefeller. We had amazing men with like um, Thomas Edison, like um, Tesla, who invented things, who went beyond the government and eventually began to create solutions that the government itself adopted and then used it to change and transform society. We are a new generation, we're a new people, and we, until we decide to take our destiny to our own hands and realize that Nigeria has a purpose, Nigeria has a reason, Nigeria must actually unite together if there's actually going to be any difference, then we will keep on replicating the same problems that previous generations have faced. If we invest millions and billions without dealing with our attitude, with our mindset, then we're forever going to be entitled, we're forever going to be selfish. 
that's what I had to say. Thank you. Thank you for that. All right. Before I forget, I just wanted to touch on the young lady who asked a question about developing her app when she's partnered with a lawyer. So communities are a great place to start. This is a great place to start. There's so many resources around you. Ask questions. One, one of the first things I learned when I got in the space, ask questions. There's somebody somewhere who I can at least point you in the right direction. At the very least, you can come and find me afterwards, and I can see if I can direct you towards assistance. All right? Okay. So I think we can move forward. I think a lot of comments have been made as to how the environment, the policy affects what we are doing in this space. So I'd like to call on Enyoma. Yes, so he's a tech, po tech point writer. He focuses on policy. So he can just give us a few comments on the space and how we're doing from a policy perspective. Economist. Ooh, fancy. Um, right. Good afternoon. Um, good afternoon, everyone. My name is Ioma. Um, I'm a lawyer. I specifically advise um, startups and companies in the tech space. I am an economist with tech points. Um, as regards... Um, uh, policy in Nigeria regards to, uh, regards to startups. I think I'll be honest to say that it's, uh, it's at the moment it's non-existent as as regards startups. And I think I will need to clarify on that. When we talk of startups, we talk of um, entities that are solving um, problems that have not been solved. Basically, looking for um, trying to create new models. That's, that's how I would like to define startups as a way of differentiating between startups and SMEs or small businesses. And so in talking about um, government policy as regards startups, as of today, we do not have any specific Nigerian policy or laws directed as, at, start, at startups. I mean, if, I mean, there's the argument about whether, Niger, whether governments should actually um, interfere with startups because all over the world, um, innovation is driven by the private, private sector. That's always the argument about when do, when do we step in? When does government step in to, to avoid you know, stifling development and growth? But um, if, we take, if we take other com um, countries as benchmarks, countries like, um, like UK or the US, um, the approaches that government take, governments take will include, for example, creating um, sandboxes. That is, um, creating avenues for startups to interact with regulators as they develop laws and develop ways to you know, um, find... Find soft landings for these for these startups. Um, other ways include um, trying to um, invest in talent development. These are um, examples in UK and US where governments actually you know create avenues to develop talents and even create um, funds to invest in these startups. As of today, Nigeria has um, we, the government has no um, specific um, policy towards that. However, there are certain you know, sectors um, through intervention in tech. Um, certain laws have impacted the space, right? So we have, for example, some of uh, some of our laws. Um, we know that one of the most um, recently, just recently, the finance the finance act has just been um, assented by the government. Has some, I think, is good news for for many startups. The best news we've had in a while, I can say. I mean, as as this as it is, it's, um, it's the best news we've had. Um, and then um, in terms of policy, we've seen government intervention mostly in the area of fintech. Um, CBN has been a very, very active player in terms of forming and molding policy. Um, I think 2017, they developed um, CBN, the Central Bank of Nigeria, developed a sandbox program for fintech companies. I'm not very sure how, how um, successful that program is. I don't know. Um, for Okay. 
Uh, okay. Um, we know that those are some of the ways in which, and then true laws, for example, we know that um, as as um, as an arrowhead of um, of, inter- of, um, of technology policy, we know that the Nigerian um, inter- NIDA, right, is one of the agencies that is driving you know policy for government. We, um, you know, um, uh, one of the, one of the laws that we know um, currently taking roots in Nigeria is the data protection um, regulation, um, which is akin to the GDPR in Europe, which, which most people will argue um, data protection laws are needed as we build out um, the internet, business of the internet, because it creates trust. Um, we're not very, at, at the moment, um, government is not as active as it should be in enforcing some of these data protection laws, but we see gradual uptake in private entities trying to, you know, um, take the lead in trying to engage governments in pushing, trying to engage with governments in trying to develop some of these policies. I know, for example, there are conversations um, going going in space of data, um, data management, data science, science, which might take a while to um, uh, to come to fruition. But as at the moment, most of the developments in space are private sector-led. It's very in terms of financing, in terms of um, um, talent development. Most of this, as, um, as we have all heard here today, most of the projects are led by, by the private sector. We haven't seen much in terms of um, government, um, government assistance or government policy get towards us. And I think that to, to a large extent, it's because as some of us have mentioned, um, tech um, startups, startups um, in Nigeria is still, is still seen as a Lagos thing, in, especially, for people, especially for people in governments in Abuja. Startup is still seen as a Lagos thing. They're still trying to figure out how it works. You know, there's still there's still a knowledge gap between policymakers today and how startups work and how, uh, in terms of how to approach it, how to deal with um, players in the space. So as of today, that's the state of policy and law with startups in Nigeria. Thank you. So let's just take two or three comments, uh, and then we'll let President Peter respond and like give like closing remarks. Then we can move to networking because we're almost out of time. So yeah. who are the? I'll let you pick the, the two or three people oh so that I'll, I'll people don't shoot me. The point essentially, like a lot of the comments are around basically government being unable to keep up and whatnot in certain regards. Obviously, there are certain like organizations and enterprises like you know. LSETF that's trying to do work in specific sectors. So they're definitely doing good work. Um, but even one of one, I had a professor used to say essentially that even in the history of the states, the cars were built before the roads. Innovation will come and then everyone will catch up kind of situation. So it's not something to be overly worried about. The point is you keep on pushing. So um, let's pick the last two people. Oh dear, this is difficult. Any women, I will give you one bias. <laughs> I will give you one bias. Young lady there. And guys, guys. Oh, yes, Lone Ranger. I think, yes, you can have the last one. Thank you. We'll still have networking after, don't worry. Okay. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, my name is Omolara Olarimi. Um, three years ago, uh, I started a, a startup called Jack Mobile Application. Um, what basically I found out during that period was that it was really, really hard for students to get a business, like get a good referral. Mostly people just like friend to friend and everyone is not really, there wasn't something that was constant. There was no a, um, 
no structure. There was no structure for businesses. It's mostly referrals. So um, what I started was I was really in the need of an electrician, and most of my friends didn't know any. So I was just depending on my fellow students to fix my stuffs for me. I could not get access to like a real electrician that would be able to do what I want to do. So I was like, okay, what if I can like um, bring it up for students where they get their business information across, not only their friends, but someone from outside campus and within campus. So they don't need to ref- to um, depend on referrals anymore. So it's just going to be um, in thing, somehow like how Facebook started. So it's just mostly like um, friends of friends, instead of you going through different stress. So you just come on the app and get whatever service you want to get. So um, we've been doing it for three years. First as a web, now it's a mobile app. It's on Google Play Store. Um, right now we are dealing with funding because it's really hard to scale or it's really hard to move from where we are without funding. So we've been going, I and my partner is a mobile, is a very good mobile uh, developer and all. So we've been moving around trying to get funding to like scale, to move forward, to bring about where a, a student's um, ecosystem for a business, SME for mostly students, to help them to get um, their businesses across to people. Okay, thank you. Well, I hope people are listening here, so please, <laughs> round of applause. I think there are probably a couple of people. Anidi is over there. Yes, I'm talking to you. Uh, so just definitely have some conversations. I'm sure there, is, there are some avenues for exploration here. One more, I think you can sit on that corner. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Shagun Cole. I'm a government consultant on new mobility policies. And um, just two things before talking about policy. Um, I think Mr. Eddie and Mr. Peter, in their presentations, they talked about the leadership forum for strategic impact. That's one, very vital. Then two was, um, I think, Center for Innovative Thinking. So I think um, last time Alibaba, Jack Ma, was in Nigeria, I think ABJ, Adewali tweeted about it. Um, and you were like, what can we do to bring Jack Ma to Lagos, right? So I think I got across to you. But one thing I noticed was um, I would like to make some few comparisons between, I think, Lagos and Kenya. Uh, Jack Ma came to Lagos. We took pictures. We took selfies, and that's it. You understand? But last time um, Jack Ma was in Kenya, I think that's when the eFounders program was launched. And um, a lot of policies. So speaking about policies, I don't let us just limit it to uh, private. I think it's very imperative to also uh, include the public sector because when Jack Ma was in Kenya, there was a lot of conversation, not just with the private sector, but also with the public sector, and a lot of things were formed. In that, um, Jack Ma has an entrepreneurship um, curriculum, which I know Yale also would have that from um, the Center for Innovation and um, Innovative Thinking. So that um, um, Alibaba Entrepreneur um, Curriculum was um, also shared with the government of Kenya, and from that, a lot has been formed. So um, although Tech Points did not pay me to say this, but I think that there needs to be collaboration between your university, Tech Point. How can we have um, a sort of curriculum from that center for innovative thinking and um, drive a lot of collaborations also with the um, government. You mentioned LSTF. They're doing a lot. Lagos Innovates. 
just in Lagos, we have Eco Innovation Center, we have Lagos Innovate. How can we all come together? And also the media aspect, tech point. Give us, um, let's, let's have that, um, how would I put it? Knowledge, um, uh, transfer, that, um, technical know-how transfer. Let's, how can we, moving forward, how can we have something like that for, um, not just, um, entrepreneurs, but also in partnership with schools? Because, um, recently, I know Tech Points will notice, um, Lagos State just came up with, um, Lagos State Innovation Fund. Yale University can partner with that. There's a Lagos State Innovation Fund right now, and, you will be amazed that the president of that fund, that board, is the VC of University of Lagos. The VC of University of Lagos. So, do you know? You can imagine the impact that that will drive. Yeah, we might say university, university, but we are getting there. But it, it started, and from that, I think these are areas that your university can push in and do that. Of course, there's already a um, partnership with LBS. So, I think collaboration is the way forward. And uh, I would really just want to suggest that. Then back to policy. Um, like I said, I'm a um, consultant on new mobility policies. So one thing we've also noticed for startups, now this goes back to startups, is that um, startups just come in and there's no form of collaboration. If you, if you can remember in Kenya, Little Ride, I think they are shut down right now. There was no form of collaboration. So I will not mention names, but even in new um, new mobility, ride sharing, bike sharing, when they came in, both foreign and local, no no collaboration, just start operating. And um, when the government um, called um, the first players, I will not mention them, like I said, um, they were arguing, uh, look, we are just digital operators. We are, we are digital apps. We are not transport operators. Okay, but you want to operate in this state? Yes, there's a global debate. But, like, one thing that they are now learning the hard way, and they are burning through a lot of money, learning the hard way, is that, look, you can't just bring that Silicon Valley concept here and just think it's a flight. You have to have that, um, Adewale mentioned culture, you have to have that um, cultural immersion, um, tailor it to that particular market and do things um, um, the, the local way, and you, you get what I'm saying. So, now... Now, after learning the hard way, when the government started um, saying, okay, do you know what? If you're going to keep on saying that, we're going to ban all of you. And we start seizing and impounding your bikes. Then they start running to the government and trying to, okay, do you know what? Let's collaborate. Let's do it. But you have burnt a lot of investors' dollars, putting in context discounts and freebies and all that that you have been doing. So now they are now engaging the government in ways that they can um, drive these policies. But I think uh, for for startups that or people that would want to venture into this fund, it's best from the um, onset, try and figure, be more, someone mentioned, be more intentional and deliberate when it comes to policy and whatever. Thank you. Thank you for this. All right. Is that our final comment? All right. So we're just going to... Uh, here, closing remarks. There will still be time to then engage, but we need to shut down the meeting so that we can then go into networking and pictures. Thank you very much. I'll be brief because I know you've been uh, sitting a long time. First of all, I'm completely impressed at the um, variety of startup ideas that I'm hearing in this very room. EdTech, EdTech, FinTech, Arts, uh, trying to make arts, uh, 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 people be sustainable, sustain a life through the arts. It was uh, very, and many others, very, very, very impressive. With respect to the policy issues that are also being debated, you have an incredible advantage. And it's the advantage that you're starting now. 
as opposed to when the, you could say, the tech revolution in Silicon Valley started, what, 30 years ago. You're starting now so you can learn from what has worked and what has not worked with respect to policy. I'm a psychologist. I'm not an expert on technology. But it seems to me that one of the lessons that we've learned is that disruption is not enough, right? We have to improve. And in thinking about how to improve and do more than just disrupt, uh, we have to think about human values, some of which transcend cultures, right? What do we believe about um, using technology to motivate good behavior, like somebody's doing something on empathy, teaching empathy uh, 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 earlier? What, how can we use... Uh, how can we uh, think about privacy? How can we think about job reskilling and job reskilling and job retraining for people who are going to be whose lives are going to be upended when technology makes things less expensive or better when technology improves? I, I don't think in my country we had those conversations early on. We just ran forward, and lots of great things have happened. Don't get me wrong. My life is different, right? I've got this amazing thing in my pocket that, I, that 20 years ago I didn't have. Right? But you have the opportunity to think about how your society is going to be changed through all this startup, particularly technologically um, driven startup, and to do it in a way that avoids some of the problems that we have had, some of the challenges that we have had, uh, uh, because you can, you can see them. Right? You can see them. So I wish you enormous luck in doing that. I wish you enormous uh, success. Uh, and uh, as we think about ways we can work together, uh, whether it's on policy issues, whether it's through organizations that bring technology together and our university that educates in this space, uh, or um, uh, uh, other kinds of collaboration, think about them and let, th let us know if there's a way we can partner with you. We will think about that same question when we go home and uh, stay in close touch with the organizations uh, uh, like TechPoint that have helped us uh, on this trip. Thank you very much for sharing uh, today and for all of your thoughts and for your hospitality here in Nigeria. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. So thank, thanks a lot and thanks again for coming. So we'll go into the networking and picture session. We'll so the Yale and TechPoint team will take a group picture first, then we'll take a group, a larger group picture of everyone, then individual pictures.